This podcast is sponsored by Zoll. Hello and welcome to the MS Improv Podcast, where we engage, where we are mindful, and we share or tell our stories. I am Eric Chase, and we are powered by GEMS. Today, I'm very pleased to have a human being, a gentleman, a soul uh, that is about service to others. When he recognized in himself that there was a personal need, he then sought out to be there for other people. He is the co-founder of Trauma Behind the Badge. He is the owner of Survival Mindset Consulting. He has a various vicarious trauma toolkit fellow. Uh, he was with the Norfolk Police Department for nearly 25 years as a director of CISM and peer support. He's also a sergeant there. Um, he has been with FHE, Shatterproof Recovery, and been with Chateau Recovery. He's an approved ICISF instructor for group and individual crisis assistance. He was certified through the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, is certified in critical incident stress management or CISM. He's a mental health first aid instructor, and that was through the Iraq Afghan Vets Association. Um, he has his master's in psychology, uh, a bachelor's in criminal justice. Uh, our guest, and I'm very honored to have you uh, for the impact that you make and, and on me personally. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Christopher Scallon. Christopher Scallon, thank you very much for being on the MSM Pro Podcast. Hey, brother. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. It's, it sounds very pompous when you read all, all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that. And, and uh, it's, it, it's hard work, though. Uh, it's, it's time, effort, emotion, uh, maybe some tears, and, and hopefully not blood. Well, blood in the law enforcement, probably. Yeah. Um, but where we have you today and, and, the, and the time that you're going to give uh, to the listeners, uh, I know there's going to be a person or people out there that, that what you're going to share today is going to resonate with them. Uh, and that they're not alone and that there is help available. And uh, if you don't have the resources and I don't have the resources, we know resources for them. Uh, at the end, we'll have you share uh, the appropriate contact information that you're willing to give. People always know how to contact me uh, and we can get them plugged in. But one of the things that I'm very impressed with, and, and I listen to real talk and real stories is with trauma behind the badge with Raul and Doug and, and Chris. Uh, Chris Fields, uh, I live in Oklahoma. He was the Oklahoma City firefighter that uh, was at the Oklahoma City uh, Murrah Building bombing. Raul was at the Pulse nightclub uh, shooting. And Doug just does so many different things uh, in, in law enforcement and has seen many things, horror, tragedy, et cetera. So you you gentlemen, uh, and, we, and we talked earlier about uh, Patty, who you met, uh, decided to do something that was a little bit different to connect with people. Do you want to talk about that and tell our listeners one about trauma behind the badge, uh, the guys that you're with in that and what you kind of do and how that works for people? Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, trauma behind the badge was <clears throat> it, it's so you get a, you get a group of, um, of broken soldiers, you know what I mean? Like these, uh, what, what is that called? Is that, uh, broken toys or something like that. But, um, we we all just happened myself chris raul and doug uh really met by accident uh i was i think i was doing a conference in uh las vegas <clears throat> for uh my shootings and trauma stuff and you know getting help and going into recovery whether it be for substance or or, or mental health and um uh, I, I i show a video slash audio of my my last shooting and what I do is when I show that, I kind of step off to the side of the stage or 
of out of the view so folks can kind of focus on on the uh on on what i'm presenting and i i hear footsteps behind me it's weird i was like in this little cubby hole to the left of the front of the stage and <clears throat> i hear footsteps walking fast and it's not uncommon for you know my presentation sometimes trigger folks and i was like oh man i you know here comes this guy who's very intense if, if anybody's not met doug doug's an intense dude just a alpha male with a heart of gold um you know and a former uh, you know SWAT operator and commander and he runs up and he sees me and kind of startled me for a second because he kind of came around the corner and i'm like hey brother he's like He's like, man, are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, and it caught me off guard because normally I'm asking that question. I was like, yeah, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm good. He goes, because man, I was listening to it and I, I didn't know if that was starting to bother you because you kind of stepped off stage. I said, no, man, I was doing that to, you know, so people could just watch and, and listen. And he's like, all right, man, I'm just checking, which I thought was so genuine. You know what I mean? Like it came from a place of caring, not, not, because you, you speak a lot around the country and, and people come up. And they, they want to share their stories. They want to, you know, kind of connect with you. Mm-hmm. This wasn't about connection. He had been through some serious shit as well. And he came up and he was like, <clears throat> legitimately just wanted to make sure I was okay. Remember that resonated with me a lot. And uh, uh, <clears throat> from that point on, best of friends, right? So uh, Doug knew Raul from working out in Florida. And Chris kind of came into the mix with, uh, again, Doug is kind of like, the nexus for a lot of this these things and uh chris being oklahoma city guy and uh raul having you know the pulse and and again doug doing everything and, and myself one, one of the bigger things aside from the shooting was i responded to the first and second trade center bombing uh we kind of had a we we can get together and not have a conversation be on the same page just kind of been there done that and we recognize that in each other and talk to you a little bit prior to this but Chris and I both went to the same treatment facility out in California at different times. It was weird because I, I told I tell the story about a firefighter that I was in treatment with uh, there, and he happened to know the person. So it was it was mm-hmm. it just really weird the way it all came together. And and what we found was, and we all did our own things, you know, kind of working uh, like a speakers bureau and kind of working around the country, different you know mental health and first responders and vets and stuff, and. Uh, we're like, you know what's missing? We're, we're, we're missing. We wanted to have a, a platform where we could have a conversation like you would have either around the kitchen table at a firehouse, uh, the squad bay at a medic, <clears throat> the barracks, you know, at a, uh, in the military and the back parking lot at a police station. And we wanted to have like a no holes barred back uh, parking lot conversation about real shit you know about the ugly stuff that you know we all have great funny stories of working and the stuff we've done and witness we had the bad ones you know where we lose people or somebody gets hurt or somebody dies but then we have the ugly ones you know like what we do to ourselves and and so we wanted to have that conversation kind of normalize it because everybody thinks you know i should be stronger you know i'm a cop i'm a fireman medic dispatch you know veteran you know, I'm a tough guy, girl. And we wanted to like kind of <clears throat> knock it down a little bit and be like, hey, we're st- we can be tough and be hurt. That's that's okay. So um, a part of a lot of, well, a lot of my presentations deal with, I, I talk about myself. I, I very rarely try to bring other people's experiences in there with the exception of being with Trauma on the Badge. We kind of play off each other, but 
um, with my struggle with with substance, both alcohol and pharmaceuticals following uh, my last shooting and um, suicide uh, attempts and what treatment looks like and how hard it was to get help and, you know, how hard it was for me to even ask for help. And I didn't really ask the first time. So we, 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 we put that out there <clears throat> as a means for other people to say, well, if he can talk about it, then I can talk about it. And it was funny when I came, come back from treatment, I was still working as police sergeant, uh, as a police officer. And I remember feeling like I'm going to be so ashamed. Like everybody's going to look at me and be like, oh, that guy's broken and they're going to avoid me and all, all this stuff. And and man, I was so pleasantly surprised. I had more people coming up to me like, hey, man, I'm struggling, too. Did it work for you? And so I had more people reaching out for help than 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 weren't. And the ones it was funny because the ones once I started the peer program in the police department, I would have like the old school guys, which at the time I I was nearing the end of my career but there were guys that you know 30 40 years plus who would be like ah that stuff's weak you know my day we used to suck it up blah blah blah, blah. and they're like because anytime something bad would happen on the department an email would go out and be like hey listen if you're struggling if you need something or you see somebody struggling give a call to our peer program call chris and and i say program it was me <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was like one person it was and they gave me like a uh like a, a janitor's closet uh, uh, to, to work out of. And eventually I got a really good friend of mine, John uh, Hines, who's in recovery as well, um, to come in. But I would get emails like, oh, I'm feeling sad. And, you know, like like joking emails, like, oh, I just sold Yeller. I need a hug. And <clears throat> I was walking back to my office and the guy's like, <clears throat> hey, if these guys can't take care of themselves, you know, tell them to come see me. I'll tell them to suck it up. I'm like, all right, you know, what? you know, it's, it's cops they we're, we're gonna joke like that yeah i will tell you nine times out of ten that same officer would catch me outside and be like hey man uh i'm struggling i need i need a little help blah 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 you know kind of like pulling a girl's hair because you like her because yeah yeah kind of attitude and and I, and i started i started doing that so with with trauma behind a badge it gave us a way to talk about the ugly side um to make sure that one, we're, we're talking about things that people are experiencing, but more importantly, we're talking about how we successfully negotiated and navigated ourselves through those things. So that, I mean, cops, first responders and, and vets in, in general, we love talking about how hard whatever we did was and how we saw the worst shit in the world. And, but we, we never talk about, you know, I joke, I say, I got my PhD in pointing out what's wrong with everything. But never, you know, until, you know, not the recent past, I started focusing on, all right, I know what's wrong. What do we do about it? So what does treatment look like? What, is, <clears throat> what does help look like? What are the resources? So <clears throat> we never bring anybody onto the show that we haven't personally vetted. Yeah. In other words, we're not a promotion for a facility. We're not a promotion for a paid, you know, treatment or whatever. That's not what we're there to do. We're there to say, hey, here are some options. This is what happens. Um, but one of the big obstacles we came across was finances. Nobody ever goes into crisis and is financially secure. I, and nobody goes into crisis at, at noon on a Tuesday. It's always fucking Saturday at three in the morning when somebody goes into crisis. And 
So what do you do then? Who do you call? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so we wanted to set resources up and kind of hold on to them and, and, and put them out there and support the nonprofits that are doing great work. Survive First um, being one of the major ones that, you know, obviously Doug and his wife, Karen, who is basically a godsend to all things logistics and mental health wise. She's, she's, she's mother hen. She's the, 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 basically the director of the shit show that we have. <laughs> the badge. She, she keeps everybody in line. Uh, probably the sweetest person in the world, but um, uh, her and Doug started survive first, which their, their mantra is to not allow finances to get into the way of somebody getting treatment. And I, I can't count how many people that, uh, needed to go to a treatment facility and didn't have their deductible. And I called Doug or Karen be like, Hey, I got a first responder or vet. Uh, it's going to cost them like $2,000 to get into treatment. They don't have it. They're like done. done yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm real, I'm simplifying the process a little bit. There is a new process now that they're going through as far as we, again, we don't want to just, they don't want to just hand out money to anybody. They want to make sure it's for somebody who needs it, which is sad that you have to do that, but, but you have to do that. Um, I mean, as recent as last, last week, somebody called me up, needed help, didn't have money. Uh, and to put it in perspective, Doug and Karen were in the mix of hosting slash planning this huge gala for Survive First, which is, I mean, time consuming and not to mention other speaking engagements and everything. Stop what they were doing, help me out. And I, we, we were able to help a first responder get some, some help, you know, which would otherwise maybe not have gotten some help. So the trombine, the badge is a collaboration of <clears throat> some broken folks that managed to piece themselves together to live a little bit more healthy. And, and we're constantly looking out for each other. Uh, if something's going on with Doug or Karen or Chris, or Raul or myself, the first phone calls that are coming out, if something bad in my life happens, I guarantee you that one of those four people is going to be calling me within minutes of whatever bad shit has gone down. I lost, um, I mean, when my canine got put down, when my friend was uh, got killed or completed suicide, I I would get in a phone call, which, which is refreshing because there's nothing behind it other than just genuine care, very altruistic. Um, so again, these are folks that I respect and I know their interest is with whoever needs help. So <clears throat> it's like I equated to, I'm probably dating myself, but there was a video of the this band Blind Melon where there was this little girl dressed as a bee and she was like an outcast. She was going all over the place dressed as like this bee and everybody's like, oh, look at this weirdo. <laughs> and then eventually at the end of the video, she opens up this gate and there's a bunch of people in a field dressed as bees kind of like dancing around. And that's what it's like. I mean, we just met, we met brothers that we didn't realize were so close. I mean, it's just instantaneous. And no matter, I don't care how long we go without like hanging out or seeing each other. We're, we, we talk to each other on a weekly basis, but I don't care how long what they're doing their thing. I'm doing mine and everybody's kind of scattered around. We always make time to check in on each other. And we, we want that kind of atmosphere and just kind of throw it out into the ethos. For, for, for all folks. And and again, if Raul gets a call that needs my help with, or if I get a call that Chris or Doug, you know, <clears throat> can help out with, we share it. We're not selfish and I'm the only one that's going to help. 
I'm glad to fucking give somebody else uh, uh, the props to go help somebody else out. So well, that's I, that's kind of essentially how we started. I love that. Um, one of the things you talked about very early on uh, was was broken, and and one of the words that came to my mind was kind of misfit toys, right? You were talking about broken that's toys. That's the land of the misfit toys. That's yeah, what it was, yeah. So and and you know that that fraternity of misfits that come together collaboratively with their own trauma, whether it be, you know, primary or vicarious or a combination of the two that said, you know what, I finally was in this juxtaposition of I'm going to die either intentionally or accidentally and I need help emotionally, whatever the case may be. And, and you finally, you, you put your head down or picked your head up, however that looks for the individual and somebody connected with you and, and you said yes. Um, so you guys are a model of, of hardship and a model of redemption, resilience through adversity. And I just wanna say it's humbling because I don't talk about me, Chris. Um, and, and I wanna say this and, and kind of get your perspective. When Doug came up to you, when you stepped to the side of the stage, cause you're trying to, allowed them to have and capture that yeah. full on experience that you lived. Yeah. Um, we were up at, uh, at, a, at a work doing some workshops in an organization up in Virginia is all of all places that had had a line of duty death and trying to get them to kind of re-engage and, and feel emotion and, and, you know, work on those brain centers that really need to kind of be awakened. And we use a lot of the humor, of course, and uh, Chief had just gotten done talking about uh, why we were there and, and the intent and his, his thoughts for what he hoped for those that were participating from rank and file to dispatchers to officers and so on. Um, the counselors that were there that had also been there for the, them during the time. And I had gotten emotional, so I stepped off to the side. And, and it's interesting that you talked about that and, and how somebody recognized that. One of the comments, aside from people realizing, was that I wasn't in control of my emotion. Not that I'm not to have emotion, but it had overwhelmed me through that because of whatever I hadn't worked on. Not because of their incident, but that was the catalyst or, or the word that we hear a lot is the trigger for something that kind of had, had overwhelmed me. And one of the people in, in, their, in their comments, you know, a couple of weeks later, was that, you know, his energy was too much at the beginning and you know to be mindful of where we are and at the same time i guess and of that because what we do i can accept that even if i didn't necessarily agree it was real and it was raw but if it's about them and where their pain and suffering is you know can i pull back or is that reality appropriate and and i've really learned to mesh that so i know when you guys are sharing your stories whatever that catalyst is at times, you know, Doug recognized something that he thought he saw in you. And at the same time, maybe it was within him, but either way it was through, he wanted to support you. And like you said, it was just yeah. a very genuine. Yeah, you know, I, I listen, first responders and vets are, uh, we're, we're, we're unique. Um, we're unique in the sense that our threshold for what we can tolerate and what we can be exposed to is a little bit 
higher than than the average Joe, right? So, uh, th there's th and and again, there's outliers that are just that are doing it because they got picked on it, you know, when they were younger and want to just pick on other people. I I, I get that, but <clears throat> the majority are genuinely great people. However, if there's a spectrum, um, you won't find a more genuine group of people or individuals like uh, Doug, Chris and Raul. And I'm throwing Karen in there because Karen has, we say we she, she teaches special needs kids, a speech pathology. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, we say that she got that specialty from working with Doug, you know, like take care <laughs> of Doug because he's special needs too. Um, but you'll not meet a more genuine gang of folks even within the first com responder community, there, there is, there's a legitimate, you know what I think it is? <clears throat> Cause I, I see it um, myself and, and them. We, we know what it's like to not get help. We know, we know that road. We know how ugly and dark it can get. And we see people kind of heading in that direction. And it, we, we kind of want to like, Hey, this is where we fucked up. This is, this is how bad it got for us. We don't want you to, I don't ever want somebody to get to where I was. I absolutely don't want that. And there's no reason to, I know we're, you know, hard headed at times, but if we could prevent these folks from falling off a cliff <clears throat> before he or she decides to get help, that's, that's success to us, you know, kind of putting them in that, in that, in that frame of mind where we don't, again, we don't have to wait for the wheels to fall off to start getting help. We can get help way before like you don't you don't it's like changing your tires every time they blow out instead of keeping up the maintenance to make sure that they don't blow out and you get new tires and, and you kind of take care of the car in the end and stuff like that um but it's that's where it's coming from which in nowadays is is a rare trait to have but the problem again with with us as first responders is that we have a high threshold like i said earlier right yeah the problem is because we have that high threshold, once we exceed it, we have that much farther to fall as opposed to somebody who has a low threshold, something bothers them. They kind of lose it like, Oh, this is horrible. And then, and then it's over with for us, we have years and decades and of, of just stuff that's been piling up because we are able to function under those conditions. And, and I found a lot, a lot of first responders and vets, um, actually thrive i doug and i and raul and chris we have this conversation all the time we thrive for first responders and especially us our group we thrive in chaos yeah absolutely i am more comfortable in a gunfight than i am sitting in a room quiet that that's and and we joke about that and and there's a little humor to it but there's something to be said to that you know that <clears throat> we've existed and listen, I've been on the fire side of the house, medic, been in the military, police department. I, I've been even on the clinical side of stuff. I've I've checked all these boxes, and I and I every time I go through whatever career or time in my life I'm in, I I, I hold on to certain things, you know, kind of put on a little not a medal, but like a little trinket from from this incident or this job, and this stuff like that, and and it kind of and it kind of we we go on kind of existing through this until. We don't. And I know my catalyst was, um, it was, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
Yeah. I, 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 it was to the point where, and listen, and, and, and I talk about this openly and frequently. I attempted suicide three times. I, I, when you get to the point of not giving a shit anymore, or maybe, or some people would argue that you give too much of a shit, which, which I would say is partially correct. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's weird for us. We sometimes we need to be put in that position where <clears throat> there's this, I, I talk about it. There's a comfort and being completely fucked. You know what I mean? Like, in, yeah. you're, you're completely screwed. There's nowhere to go but up. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start trying to get better. Because if it doesn't happen, I got a plan. I'll just kill myself. That, that's that's the plan. It's it, It'll work out. And 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 trying, and people talk about, especially when you got people in recovery for alcohol and mental, they, they're waiting to hit that rock bottom. Folks, you'll, you'll never hit that rock bottom. You, you, you're you're going to hit rock bottom and then you'd be like, nah, I could, I could probably make it worse. And it's true. We can't, we, mm-hmm. it's, we're, we're, it's this weird kind of, well, this can't be my rock bottom or one suicide attempt is not, I mean, that everybody does that or two is, well, we're getting close, but that's not my thinking about it. <laughs> should have been, should have been enough, but, it, but it's not. So it's again, in understanding our culture and understanding where we, kind of come from gives us the benefit of interacting with other folks that are in that same situation. And so when I see somebody who's at that point where they want help, because there's a difference between someone coming up to you and saying, I need help and I want help. Yeah. And I get, I get that a lot from, from folks. I'll, you'll get, you know, first responder vet that gets a DUI, let's say, and their jobs in jeopardy or, <clears throat> not so much in jeopardy, but maybe they're looking at getting in some s- serious trouble. And they're like, man, I really need help. Um, <clears throat> I asked them, who are you doing this for? Number one answer for why I'm getting help, my kids, mm-hmm. my family. Those number one answers. And when they when they say that to me, I said, well, you're not ready. He goes, well, what are you talking about? I'm not ready. I- I'm telling you, I need help. And I said, you need help to avoid or sidestep this train wreck that's getting ready to hit you right um you'll be ready when you want the help for you so that you could be better for other people and i, I say that for folks that have children that you know if, if they want to get help for their kids it's not going to work the majority of the time it doesn't sometimes it does but the majority of the time it doesn't it's when they want to help themselves and and again going to treatment whether it be a month you know you know 28 days 30 days 45 120 however long they always look at it in the middle of it. This is time I'm going to be away from my kids. I said, okay, but imagine you don't go to this and then you're gone. And then you, you, you'll never get to spend time with kids or you create such a toxic environment that your kids start disliking you or that your, 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 your husband, your wife decides that they've invested more than they're willing to, to be comfortable with or more than it's healthy to kind of, you know, take care of you or, or be a support. You know, being being there more for you than you are for yourself. <clears throat> so it's it, it's the dynamic that we're very familiar with. Right. So yeah. so it, once once we start outlining the stuff and, and getting the people the help that they need when they need it, kind of meeting them where they're at. Game changer. It's a game changer. And there's uh, there, 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 what we, we host um, what's called. I, I work as a board member for the Virginia law enforcement assistance program. We host 
what's called post-critical incident seminars. We do a couple times a year. It's a retreat. It's a, it's a three, three and a half day retreat where people just get to focus on their stuff. And there's a little, <clears throat> little story we like to tell. And it's, I, I think it's famous. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm surprised that people haven't heard it, but depending on who it is, firefighter, cop, medic, dispatcher, vet, let's say cop. There's a cop that's found himself in a hole, right? Deep hole. <clears throat> and he's sitting there, he or she's sitting there and can't get out. Dark place. And this doctor walks by and they're like, doc, can you help me? And they're like, well, I can, I can't help you, but I can give you a prescription. And he throws a prescription down. When you get out, you can get a prescription. This, this priest walks by, father, can you help? He's like, no, but I can pray for you. And so you're still in this hole in this despair. And then this cop walks by and the cop's like, hey, can you? And before he gets it out, the cop jumps in the hole. And the cop's looking at him like, hey, idiot, now we're both in this hole. And the cop looks at him and goes, yeah, but I've been here before and I know the way out. Wow. And that's, that's the whole mindset of one of the greatest things you can give anybody. And I don't care what you do, what job it is. The greatest thing, the, the one thing that gets taken away from us and the greatest thing that you can give somebody is hope, right? Because the problem that, that, that we have when we're in these dark places is that it seems like there's no way, maybe there's light, but we're decades from seeing it. And, and it's such a far ways away down the line that <clears throat> just doesn't seem plausible. But when they see <clears throat> Raul, or when they hear Chris, Doug, and Karen talk about being in this place where it's dark and then eventually getting through, giving that hope is everything to somebody. And and when 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 we're speaking, you know, individually or collectively, I, I always joke because there are certain times when I'm talking about several specific things where I, I wish I would could videotape the, the audience because you'll see like the head nodding and like open mouth and like, Oh yeah, that I can't believe somebody else is going through what I'm going through. Right. And uh, some, some of the, like uh, just a small example, I was, I was speaking at Virginia tech and uh, just again, telling my story. And to me, it's ad nauseum. I've, I've told it so many times. And uh, this woman comes up to me at, at the end bawling. And I'm like, what do you need? You know, what, what's going on? Talk to me. And she goes, you're, you're describing my husband. You know, cause I tell my story very, it's graphic and I, no holes barred, you know, the drinking and, and using whatever the legal pharmaceuticals that I was getting. Yeah. Um, uh, the suicidality and all the, all this stuff and despair, depression, anxiety, all that stuff. And she's like, you, you are describing my husband. I said, well, is he ready for, to get some help or do you want me to talk to him? And she's like, yeah. Um, wound up talking to this individual, uh, a combat veteran in first, a uh, first responder, you know, I mean, tough as nails, very intimidating looking dude too, big guy. Right. And, uh, wound up getting them help fought the whole way going through like, like we all do like this sucks this is bullshit. And I'm in treatment with some 22 year old heroin addict. Relax. Right. You both mm -hmm. need help just different kinds. And then by the end of it, <clears throat> Didn't want to leave. Didn't want to leave because they started getting better. And here's a weird thing for them. They start recognizing, well, I took care of myself. My relationships are better. I'm more tolerable to my family and friends and even coworkers. 
and then and they think it's magical. Listen, I'm an idiot. Doug, Chris, Raul, and myself will all tell you we're idiots. We just <laughs> happened to, to down the road. Uh, you know, we didn't read about this in a book. We we lived it. So it, it's it's like me looking at a map and telling you how to get somewhere, as opposed to me actually walking the route and telling you how to get there. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> so so we we've been there and we we've done that. So <clears throat> it's it's rewarding and it's selfish and it's selfless to kind of put it out there. We've been in these dark places. Uh, so you don't have to be there as long. That's, that's pretty much it. Whoa. Um, th that's heavy. And it's also refreshing to me and I don't want to hijack this podcast, but I got, I got some things to share if you're cool with that. Sure. Yeah, please. So forever needs to hear this. Um, I have to be too good. I have to be too professional. I have to be the best at whatever I've done or do retroactively and currently. And I still play things over and over in my head. 31 years ago, I had a gun to my head. I did not pull the trigger. I'm afraid this is for this podcast and for you, Chris, and because of you and Raul and Doug and Chris and everyone, your predecessors to what you guys have done and those that will come. Uh, so this is out of respect for you and a little bit that I'm giving myself today. Yeah. I haven't publicly said these things. I've had them on the side. I told you up front before we started. You know, I have a combat vet on that's a cop today that said, you know, my mind wouldn't shut off. I was going to kill myself. That was the plan. It was easy solution. And I was hurting. I was getting, playing rugby. Every time I had a surgery, eight of them. You know, the doctors back in the, in the, in the early 90s were just giving you 180 pills and then refills. And I became addicted to opiates. Functional addict while working. But it would take one and then it would take two, then it would take three and then it would take a six pack and so on. I didn't want to die, but I nearly died several times. Um, I cheated on my first wife every deployment because I would drink. Not because I drank. I would drink. It would make the decision-making worse, better, easier, if that makes sense. Uh, the outcome was horrific. I destroyed a family. Um, I, I met a woman in 2011 through her daughter that is now my wife. But she has the balls and the fortitude and the care about herself to call. She called my ass out in 2016. She said, you need to find your joy. I wasn't using prescription opioids. Um, I, I don't use them because they don't really help. I use other techniques for pain post-surgery, unless it's in that immediate time frame. And then she and I together will write down and count when I use them and when I need to use them. So that, you know, the tools that, that we learned. Um, so I was a, a cheater, I was a drunk, I was a prescription opioid addict, uh, wasn't doctor shopping, and, and, I'm, and I'm not trying to make diminish that. You know, we talk to people like Sean Riley and other people that'll say what they did, right? Did, did you want to say something? Well, what, what, uh, so we all think of things as one thing, whether an addict is an addict is an addict kind of thing, a, a cheater is a cheater. These things exist on a spectrum, right? So there's, <clears throat> there's the folks that will be criminal 
that will commit criminal acts to do whatever they need to do. There's folks that are in circumstances that affords them the ability to do it legally, right? Yeah. But a lot of times, especially because I, I deal with this all the time. And again, I, I'm coming from a place where I was going through a half gallon of rum and I don't even know how many fucking pills I was taking that were, I mean, I was being enabled, but some of my uh, physicians were handing me sample packs because my insurance sucked, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and they knew I kind of needed to get stable a little bit. Um, and I got wrapped up in this idea that the drinking and the pharmaceuticals is the problem. They are not the problem. They are the symptom of the problem, right? And, and I don't care what it is. If, if it's drugs, alcohol, risk-taking behavior is a huge one, yeah. right? Not kind of not caring to, like, it would be cool if I died, but I'm not doing it or... I'm going to take these medications and if something bad happens, something bad happens. And, and real, real quick, because I, I, I want you to finish that, but <clears throat> people think that um, people that die by suicide are, are suicidal in, in this, in this context, right? The majority of people that kill themselves or that try to, or that want to aren't necessarily suicidal. They're searching for an end to, to pain emotional pain and or physical pain that that's what it is because when i talk to somebody who's suicidal i said what is what is one or two things that if i could magically wave a wand and 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 correct or address that would prevent you from killing yourself and above all um the number one response has to do with some form of shame yeah shame is a huge driving factor for why people do what they do, good, bad, or otherwise, right? Um, and it kind of perpetuates where we're, well, now I'm taking six pills a day or six pills an hour or whatever, or now I'm drinking 15 cases of beer. Now I'm doing, well, we, we, I would, we don't see the one or two beers and one or pills or two pills, whatever, as, as the problem. We wait for it to, to kind of escalate to the end. And then we're like, well, shit, I'm this far gone. There is no helping. And because there's why? Because I've, I've embarrassed my family. I've embarrassed myself. I, I've disgraced the job or whatever, you know, all these different things. And we get wrapped up really on, we're back end thinking like it's the, the drugs and the alcohol. And you call yourself too, which is, I, I, I find it's, that's refreshing to hear somebody that aware of themselves that again, it wasn't the drinking that caused whatever. It's you and the drinking kind of supplements your, your, like you're conscious, like, uh, all right, I, I could do this or I'm, I'll drown this out or numb it. A lot of times people talk about numbing it, but yeah, but I, it's, I, that's such a distinction to be made that two addicts don't, or, or people struggling don't always look the same, but we label ourselves the same. It's like we're black or white. No, there's areas of gray and, and some grays are darker. Some, some are lighter. Some, some are completely dark, but what may be dark, darkest view might be my lightest shade of gray if that makes sense yes when people start seeing like that because <clears throat> first responders vets constantly compare themselves to what somebody else has gone through similarly and handled it what they think is better which is not the case and D doug says this actually very clear and which i joke him i was like it's very concise and very he goes your trauma is your trauma and it's 
what what what's hurtful to you means nothing to whether it's hurtful to me or not. It's hurtful to you. I promise Trump. So, but again, we're 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 cops, farm and dispatch, medics, you know, uh, uh, cops and stuff. So we we kind of see it like that. So the shame also prevents us from being vocal about it. And I, I think it says a lot that you're, and, and again, I appreciate your platform to, to, to talk, but also I think you're doing yourself a great justice by allowing yourself to not burden yourself with having to keep that uh, on you, right? I, I um, on my email uh, signature line, I quoted Lou Holtz. I'm a big Notre Dame fan. I quoted Lou Holtz. And it's, it's not, it's not the load that breaks you down. It's how you carry it. And we decide to carry a lot more than we need to. And, and just by doing that, you make it okay for somebody else to, to, to share their load. Right. And to share what's, what's kind of holding them back a little bit. But I, I just, when you were talking about that, and again, it's, I've heard it a million times and we all think we're this, we all think we're unicorns. Yeah. We're the furthest thing from unicorns. Right. <laughs> and the other bit of advice that I it took me a while to follow the day I stopped giving a shit about what other people thought of me was the day I started getting better and that's that's what it comes down to and Chris that's a perfect segue to kind of bring it back to where we were when you recognized kind of that where I paused and recognized that it wasn't the the, the prescription drugs or the, the booze, the copious amounts of both that had me cheating. It was my desire to cheat that it made it easier because I had anesthetized or uh, kind of numbed, tamped down, you know, my, my feeling centers in the brain. Um, I have been too worried about what other people think about me, you know, because I'm building professional relationships and I'm doing workshops and speaking engagements. And what if somebody heard this and and then all of a sudden that dissuades them from bringing me in to do a, a keynote or, or whatever I've been doing. And at the same time, what we're trying to do and share with people, if that's their mindset, then that's not who I'm supposed to be affiliated with in that time frame anyhow, right? So yeah. I feel freer now than I have in since 2016 when my wife called my ass out in this moment. And and I didn't know it was going to be today because I have great people that work in CISM and peer support and, uh, you know, Craig Baudet at, at Hanover Fire and EMS and the burdens that you individuals take on. You have space yeah. when you learn how to carry that load to be there for someone else. And I love that Lou Holtz quote. So thank you for sharing that as well. I yeah. was getting to the point where I didn't have space and I wouldn't admit to people. I've got a friend that's a cop and, and uh, female and she would go, hey, do you have, do you have space for me right now? And she would want the honest answer, not the, oh, yeah, of course, you know, because I've got broad shoulders and a big ass. And that means I can carry a lot more than some people. But I was doing it with guilt and shame. And, and that as transparent as I've been, this is the most transparent that I've been. Yeah. It's, and, it, uh, you know, it's, it's when we're ready. Yeah. It really, it's when we're ready. And it's when we're some, sometimes we're comfortable with it. Sometimes we're not. <clears throat> There's a, I am an amazing fan of Brene Brown. Yes. She does Ted talk. She's, she's a, she's actually a shame specialist. She specializes in shame. And I deal with, especially the community that, that we're in as first responders and, and veterans that 
we want to perceive ourselves as courageous. We really do. And, yeah. and not in the sense to promote ourselves, <clears throat> but we, we like to think that we're going to do something the average person wouldn't do or, or that couldn't do it. So why, so why everybody's not a cop or a medic or a fireman or dispatcher or, or veteran, right? And it's, <clears throat> I was listening to one of our, our TED talks and she talked about vulnerability. And she said something that I knew, but I didn't, I had never heard it out loud. It is impossible to be courageous without being vulnerable. It's impossible. Yeah. And I, and I'm, when somebody says some shit like that always or never, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to figure out where the situation. And it's true. You can't be <clears throat> courageous and not be vulnerable at the same time. So I tell that to folks that are struggling with whatever they're struggling with that. And I wish, man, I wish I could have come up with that. I'd, I'd have t-shirts and shit made up. But again, I, I find my inspirations <clears throat> in the little interactions I have uh, with, with people that have legitimately struggled or that are very knowledgeable. Uh, I was on a panel with the Department of Justice. Um, uh, I'm, the, I'm the chair for the, the peer portion of the National Consortium on the Prevention of Law Enforcement Suicide. And uh, uh, I was also <clears throat> Department of Justice. I was on a panel at their headquarters with a couple folks. One of the folks being uh, Dr. Violante, who's a professor in, in Buffalo, who is the, the expert on police suicide. I mean, he's studied it, you know, uh, from, from, you know, nuts to bolts, right? Um, and, and so getting that little inspiration for somebody so academically inclined. Uh, <clears throat> the other one was a really good friend of mine, uh, Chris Amos. He was a, a cop where I was. And after my shooting, um, the number one question everyone asked what happened, you know, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, we're talking 20 minutes after the shooting, I'm sitting in a car and he walked out to me and his first question was, can I get you anything? I, I mean, that person or <clears throat> that person who has struggled with substance issues or mental health and comes back to you and says, hey man, I did this or I hit a milestone for me, you know, not for anybody else, but for me and all that, all that stuff. That is so empowering. And they can't get to that point and, and you can't meet these people unless you allow yourself to be vulnerable. And then in, in working through it, <clears throat> through that or the trauma or whatever, that's courage. That's true courage, right? Because yeah. any, any, any ding dong could run into a dangerous situation without really knowing what it is. But it takes a special kind of courage to go into some place that you know could result in, in catastrophic failure. So 100% agree, and not just because I think we're both right, because we're both right. Um, <laughs> Brene Brown, and I'm glad you bring that up, because as a dude, um, we, I've been to a couple of Brene Brown uh, workshops, seminars, like how to help teach what she talks about, and, and yeah. understanding that perspective. And we bring it into some of our workshops, and we talk about vulnerability and shame. And, and shame has been the biggest destroyer of, of the human that I want to be. And, you know, we say, don't compare your trauma. Now, finitely, if, if you accept that we all have trauma, okay. But when I start going, damn, I'm a bigger uh, P word, 
uh, that's the one word I won't say on here. I'll say the F bomb and, and, and swear, but you know, don't be a bigger P, you know, you know, yeah. uh, pansy. Well, I'll just say that. Um, yeah. And, and as inappropriate as that is that, uh, <laughs> I, I'm a Gen Xer slash baby boomer. Like I'm right literally on the cusp and we weren't allowed to talk about anything. And then, yeah. so it was, I was a non-combat veteran, but a, a veteran, uh, worked in, uh, law enforcement fire EMS. So kind of the whole spectrum as well. And it, it just built upon itself until I got to the point where um, my behaviors, either there was consequences and then built greater guilt and shame or till in, in this case, the most important person in my life um, on, on the physical you know, realm called me out and, and she was vulnerable. So when we talk about normalizing accountability and understanding shame and, and, uh, you know, listening to people that have been there and brilliant minds and hearts like Brene Brown, um, studying, being, being an academic, as well as, as, you know, listening to people just share and spew stories to connect. Um, there, there's a truth in a, in a fraternity, uh, a brotherhood w without, you know, offending somebody, yeah. a sisterhood as well. Um, I almost hate <laughs> the word in that situation in our society anymore where we have to acknowledge we, those of us that are speaking what we're speaking, understand that it is, it, it is male and it's female. I mean, it, it's across all gender and race spectrums and, and, and religiosity as well. I want this opportunity for people to hear you guys and Doug and Chris and Raul, uh, whether you're in law enforcement, uh, fire, EMS, dispatch, have served as a veteran, are serving as a veteran, have a family member where the story you talked about, that is my husband. I can hear my wife going, if she was at one of your presentations, that's my husband. Um, and maybe she did hear it somewhere and then decided to call me out. How can people hear and find out and see trauma, trauma behind the badge and the different guests and speakers that you have on that help grow knowledge and, and, and understanding? How can they do that first and foremost, Chris? Yeah, so they can check out the website, um, it's traumabehindthebadge.us. Um, and we actually have, that. we get a lot of requests for help through there. It's a, a confidential stuff. We don't save anything or anything. And what happens is <clears throat> we'll get something in, somebody, it comes to all four of us, five of us, including Karen. Uh, hey, I need help with this, this, and this. Whoever answers, one of us will send a text back to them immediately. Hey, uh, I'll send a group text. Hey, I got it. We just got one the other day. And Chris Fields was like, uh, got it, responded, we're on it, you know, so, so we kind of do that. But traumaonthebadge.us, um, our Facebook page, and we have the daughter of a retired NYPD cop uh, doing our social media because we're idiots when it comes to that stuff. And uh, big shout out to, to, to Emma Savelli, who's who's out there um, doing all our promo stuff for Trauma on the Badge and Survive First. But we normally post where we're doing and where we're going and where we can speak and um, – uh, they, that's a real easy way to find it. Uh, and on that site is a link to all of our individual sites. If we have it like survival mindset consulting is mine. So you can read our bios there. Uh, my, my website has at survival mindset consulting.com has a lot of, um, I have resources as far as some of the papers I've written articles, interviews and stuff like that. Um, uh, Chris is out of chaos and, and Raul and every so you can get all of us through Trauma Behind the Badge like US. Uh, our podcast is 
normally it's every Tuesday at seven o'clock Eastern time. Um, but we, again, if we're traveling or we're doing stuff, we try to get on, but we just had, you know, uh, survivors just had their gala, <clears throat> a lot of logistical stuff and Doug and Raul are actually in my neck of the woods in Virginia beach speaking today. Um, uh, Chris is out in, again, Oklahoma and we, so we're bouncing around. So if we're out and about, if we can do it from where we're at in location, we, we do our podcast from there. Uh, and we have, um, I think all our podcasts are, they've been recorded and we're getting ready to uh, release all our stuff on YouTube again. Um, it was down for a while, but uh, from our old podcasts or, or old guests and stuff like that. And again, um, trying to cross pollinate with different podcasts, whether, you know, it'd be this one or, or somebody else's. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we've had everybody from, from Jason from <clears throat> Fire Department Chronicles. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the folks over at um, oh, the Qual Foundation to Folds of Honor. Uh, I mean, all over the place. Uh, and uh, like Jason Schechterly. I mean, uh, it's just, again, there's a small group of people and we we, we want to promote everybody else's <clears throat> podcast here at EMS Improv. We want, I don't care where somebody listens to get help, whether it be from me, from you, from Doug, from you know Meg from Make Everything Good or from from you know Badges United or Survivor, I don't care where they get it. We're not selfish that way. We want we want everybody to have a stage so that they if they need help they can reach out, and that's 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 ultimately the goal. But that's we put some stuff out there I, tomorrow. I'll be at a behavioral health wellness for fire in Indianapolis, and then I get to see uh, my friends Doug, Rowan, and Chris in Dallas for the Concerns of Police Survivors conference in, um, on I think I'll be there Friday evening, but going through the weekend. And I'll be out in your neck of the woods in December uh, teaching a certification class for Oklahoma City uh, PD. I think, oh, I think PD. some of the folks out there as well. And a uh, big shout out to Danny Long, who's running the Oklahoma City First Responder Wellness uh, Center. Um, phenomenal guy. Again, we surround ourselves with with awesome people that are doing awesome work. And we want to put it out in all social media. I think we're, again, Instagram. I don't know for Twitter. I think You're Instagram, Twitter. Twitter, YouTube, I, LinkedIn, wherever. But yeah, yeah, you can definitely reach us out over there. Uh, and and I always tell folks at the end of our podcast, you know, if you or somebody you know is struggling, you don't know what to do or who to call, just give us a shout. And again, like you said earlier, if we don't know, guarantee we know somebody who does know. So we, we, we like to throw that out there. Well, Chris, um, I, I just want to thank you. And I, I love the term. And I've heard you guys say it a few times about the cross-pollinization, uh, the engaging other people, the connecting people to people. Um, we all have stories to tell, which is why, you know, the whole mindfulness piece. And, and people think EMS was just, you know, emergency medical services. I get that, you know, interesting and quirky kind of play. It, it literally is about engaging, being mindful or mindful and then telling or sharing stories. Um, so... I appreciate you sharing your story. And, and I know that uh, every day can be better and brighter for each person. I, I appreciate you letting me be even more uh, uh, transparent today. Uh, today was just the day. Um, yeah. I've been carrying some burdens that I didn't need to carry. And, and I think the biggest burden was holding on to the fact that, hey, everybody in this world that's gonna hear this podcast and the people that had me hold me up on a pedestal, Bring me down a notch, but know that I still love and care about you. And that, you know what, maybe that this will give us a better opportunity for you to connect with the help that you need. Because I finally said, fuck it. 
and this is the real me. The best and the worst that I've been uh, is better today because I gave it, and and I and uh, I didn't get rid of it. I, you know, I, I but I also made it real. I, I made it real today. Um, yeah, you know, I I uh, there, there I just it's funny. I got the shirt too, but uh, the bet and I I do a lot of nautical references, being the Navy Navy guy, but. <clears throat> The best captains aren't made in com seas, right? There, yeah. it's it's the folks. There is there is a legitimacy and a I, I don't know what it is. There's a I hate to say it's not the charisma, but there there's a uh, just an innate aspect of somebody who's willing to share that they're imperfect that I think is more helpful than somebody pretending that stuff doesn't bother them like I, I i i'd much rather listen to somebody who's been beaten down and hear their perspective and 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 to be quite honest everybody has their problems and and i say this with, with all and they joke me all the time i have been helping vets and first responders for a very long time and i have yet to find one of them that has just one problem it's 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 always a bunch of different things right so uh, again, there's 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 no shame in, in in being hurt and just understanding that when we're hurt, hurt people hurt people, yeah. and we normally don't hurt strangers. It's normally the ones that, that we hold close to us that that reap the benefits of our shittiness. But I, I do want to say one. I'll add one little caveat to, to to you know helping first responders and vets. Very important. That's what we do. We love doing it. But the other the other half of that is we absolutely include family, the people that support the people that serve in whatever discipline or capacity that you do. They are the unsung heroes of, of, of everything that, that we do. And I know I wouldn't be here without the help of people that weren't even in law enforcement or, or, or first responders or the service. I, I, you know, I don't care where you get the help from, but for me, it was the, a lot of people that had no idea what I was going through as far as uh, familiar with what I was going through. But they, they didn't care about that. They cared about me. And um, it doesn't take, there's not one quick fix to, to getting better or healthy. It's, it's a, like a big team effort <clears throat> and just assemble your team, man. And if you don't have a team, reach out, we'll be part of your team. I know Tron behind the badge is always part of everybody's team if, if they need it. Well, I appreciate everything that each of you've done. Um, and and are willing to do and thank you for mentioning the uh, the families as well because that that's a big component like you said uh, the unsung heroes the people that have lived that vicarious trauma and and uh, are looking for fixes and 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 are feeling helpless. Um, coming up on a hard stop. This is the uh, EMS Improv podcast where we engage, where we're mindful, and we tell or share our stories. Uh, we've been with Christopher Scallon. Uh dude. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, no, thanks for having me, man. And Loved I look it. forward to seeing you uh, at some point, whether it's a cigar, I don't know, you're vaping maybe, uh, or, <laughs> yeah. or a bourbon, uh, or if you're, if you're not doing that anymore, uh, coffee. Um, Definitely, man. I mean, all things. I'll, gonna, I'll, I'll drink a seltzer. Okay, I'll drink Craig, a club soda. <laughs> perfect. Craig Bodette said to say hello. He just I just saw something come across my screen. Uh, down oh, okay. Awesome. awesome. So he, uh, he appreciates all you do as well. I'm going to... I'm going to sign off for now. All of you, be well. Um, hurt people hurt people. It's okay to be vulnerable. Take care of yourself and reach out. We're here for you.